Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Chris Hedges, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and best-selling author. Chris spent nearly two decades as a correspondent reporting from more than 50 countries. He spent 15 years at the New York Times and more recently was teaching in the New Jersey prison system. It's a fantastic conversation between me and Chris, a lifelong journalist, a person who's seen the way that media has changed from something that's in the service of people, something that's about transparent communication and investigation. Gone are the days of Bernstein and Woodward. Now has the media simply become the propaganda arm of the state corporate world? It's a fantastic conversation. If you're not a member of my mailing list yet, you should join my mailing list over at russellbrand.com where you'll learn about all sorts of special events. Not least, I'm doing a one-day event with Wim Hof in July in the UK. We've only got a 1,000 tickets. If you want to register your interest, get on my mailing list right now. If you're not following the YouTube videos, have a look at them, please, for God's sake. And do you meditate? If you don't meditate, you should. And you can listen to a weekly meditation on Above the Noise on this platform, Luminary. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? Welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Chris, thank you very much for joining us on Under the Skin. Sure. What's been unique, would you say, about reporting on the Ukrainian conflict? Are you finding any unique challenges, given that it's a military conflict? Are you finding any uh, corollary between the restrictions on reporting in the last couple of years domestically and, and internationally and what's immediately occurring in this conflict? What what challenges are you facing in trying to tell stories yeah, and know, truthful to... as best you can at the moment? Have you noticed a rise in censorship, dissemination? What, what have you observed? Well, I've been a victim of the rise in censorship. I just had all my shows, six years of shows erased, disappeared from YouTube. Uh, they had been broadcast on RT, where I was kind of forced into. I had been on Telesur before. Telesur crashed and burned with the collapse of the Venezuelan economy. The right-wing government in Argentina would no longer fund it. RT picked it up. Um, there's not one show on Russia. Uh, but when you take positions such as mine, I'm a strong supporter of BDS. I spent seven years in the Middle East. I was the Middle East bureau chief for the New York Times, much of that time in Gaza. So yeah, the censorship is there, and then we can get into the algorithms and the shadow banning and all that kind of stuff, which we were victim of before. But going to Ukraine, so I was in Eastern Europe in 1989. Uh, I covered the revolutions and the breakup of the Soviet Union. Uh, and uh, number one, we all thought NATO was obsolete. Uh, NATO was designed to prevent Soviet expansion into Eastern and Central Europe. Uh, we also thought there would be a peace dividend. That's what they told us. Uh, we understood that expanding NATO beyond the borders of a unified Germany was an unnecessary provocation. And that wasn't uh, a political position that was embraced by Margaret Thatcher, uh, Hans Dietrich Genscher, the foreign minister uh, at the time in uh, Germany, uh, the, uh, Reagan administra uh, the Reagan administration uh, with Secretary of State James Baker. Everyone got it. That there was, uh, in fact, they were talking with Gorbachev about uh, integrating or at least beginning to give Russia membership or observer status at NATO and eventually uh, either integrating into NATO or some kind of unified security alliance. So. I was there. And to begin to speak about that historical context and the provocation that the expansion of NATO 
uh, would be to Russia, which was broadly understood. In fact, George Kennan, the great uh, Soviet uh, specialist, uh, later called uh, the expansion of NATO uh, the, the gravest mistake uh, in, in post-Cold uh, War history. Uh, so uh, 14 countries now, and Ukraine is a de facto member of NATO. It had a, all sorts of NATO advisors. It now has hundreds. It at, was getting military equipment before. It now is getting hundreds of millions of dollars of military equipment. Uh, that doesn't excuse what Russia did. But to deal in that kind of historical truth or to speak with that kind of nuance uh, run straight into the kind of jingoistic cheerleading uh, that uh, is uh, that dominates the media landscape. Uh, doesn't matter whether it's Fox or anywhere else. And of course, reminds me very much of the Iraq War. I was very outspoken against uh, the calls to invade Iraq. Lost my job at the New York Times for that when they demanded I stop speaking out about the war, and I refused. So uh, there is this kind of they drink dark from this this dark elixir of nationalism and exceptionalism and and I think moral purity of course it's all uh, there it, of course with this vast historical amnesia where we ignore the crimes that uh, we carried out uh, which dwarfed up, up to this point anything Putin's done in the Ukraine in in the Middle East so it's, it feels Chris like you're describing a creeping sensorial fog that initially you know 20 years ago whenever that was was sufficient to drive you from the New York Times. But now, even when you find yourself in a, in territories like ours, in a media enclave like RT, even this place is subject to sensorial encroachment to, to the point where it feels like a kind of totalitarianism. I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, voices like yours and Caitlin Johnston, voices that are critical of, um, you know, sort of Western support of Ukraine or critical of NATO's historic, potentially veiled imperialism as a kind of, as, uh, as irresponsible voices that don't acknowledge a, a, a kind of a truer or darker or more, more potent tyranny, you know, under Putin than anything that we could possibly appreciate or understand in the West, that this is a somehow a unique and distinct type of tyranny, I, I, which I recognise is very similar to what we said about Saddam Hussein when it was necessary and relevant to say that about Saddam Hussein. Do you do they have a point, or are they just trying to cling to some like neoliberal um, moral superiority at a time when it feels like there's very little for those voices to cling to? No, it's it's historical amnesia. So for them, time stops in 1945. Everybody who appeases, everybody becomes the new Hitler, Putin's the new Hitler, Saddam Hussein's the new Hitler. Anybody who carries out any kind of appeasement, appeasement uh, or refuses to go to war, uh, it's uh, the, just a, a redo of the 1938 Munich Agreement, and they're the new Neville Chamberlain. I mean, this is the whole neocons. I wrote a column, uh, it's on chrisedges.substack.com, where I have now moved because I don't have anywhere else to move. That's where Matt Taibbi is. And, with my friend Glenn Greenwald. So uh, uh, it's called the pimps of war. These people have been shilling for war for decades. I have ran into them in Central America. I covered the war in El Salvador and I covered the war with the Contras, uh, illegally funded by the Reagan administration in Nicaragua. And they're the same players, Elliot Abrams, or Robert Kagan, they're all there. 
uh, and they use the same rhetoric. But th this, of course, just ignores uh, all sorts of interventions, coup d'etats, uh, manipulations, uh, CIA assassinations that characterize the Cold War from the end of World War II up to the present, whether uh, overthrowing governments in Indonesia, uh, Guatemala, uh, Iran, uh, democratically elected Mossadegh, uh, Chile, where, of course, the CIA orchestrated the assassination of the army chief of staff, along with President Salvador Allende. Uh, it, 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 it is, uh, it, it, it's just, uh, it's a kind of knee-jerk uh, rhetorical feint that works because they're heavily funded by the arms industry, the, the Brookings Institution, uh, uh, the uh, Mer uh, American Enterprise Institute, uh, uh, Project for a New Century, which has closed down and been rebranded. I mean, all this stuff is uh, lavishly funded by the arms industry because these are the pimps for the arms industry. So when you go up against that and and they have complete domination of the airwaves it doesn't matter whether it's msnbc or cnn or fox it doesn't matter uh and when you go up against that monolith uh they work very hard to shut you down especially in my case where i uh i was working for the new york times i was overseas for 20 years i covered all of these conflicts i was seven years in the middle east i speak arabic uh, and that is uh, absolutely unpalatable. So they work very, very hard to shut you out. And some people say, well, how can these people hang around when they were wrong about everything, the war in Iraq and everything else? Well, they hang around because they're courtiers, because uh, they carry water for uh, the ruling neoliberal establishment and for uh, the war industry. If you're enjoying this conversation, please join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? Welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin.